Today's Bible reading is from Mark 10, verses 32 to 45. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief of the priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been pre- for, for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. As we come to the message of God, will you pray with me? Father God, be present with us and surround us with the knowledge of your love. Jesus Christ, word of God, speak your truth through me, so that my words might be not mine, but yours. Spirit of God, move our hearts to accept your teaching and be changed, moulded into your new creation. Amen. You don't know what you are asking. I reckon most of us here have watched the movie Home Alone, right? It's, yep, say, popular Christmas movie. Some would say the Christmas movie. To give a bit of an overview, eight-year-old Kevin McAllister, the youngest child in a very large family, he gets himself into trouble on the eve of a trip to Paris for Christmas. His mother sends him up to bed early and, furious, Kevin tells her he wishes his whole family would just disappear. (laughs) And his mother just looks at him and says, be careful what you wish for, it might just come true. The family leaves the next morning and through a very unlikely and unfortunate series of events, they accidentally leave Kevin behind. (laughs) Kevin, meanwhile, wakes up to an empty house and realises, or thinks he realises, that his wish has come true. He's made his family disappear. At first, Kevin is overjoyed. He can watch the TV shows he wants, that he was never allowed to before. 
He can order junk food. He can break into his older brother's room and play with his toys. Anything he wants. But being home alone turns out to be not all it's cracked up to be. He has to go out shopping. He has to deal with his scary neighbour. And then there's the small matter of defending the house from a couple of bandits who break in and try and rob it. By the end of the movie, it's Christmas Day, and Kevin is just tired of it all and is just wishing for his family back when his mum walks in the door. She's made the mad rush back from Paris to find her son and make sure he's safe. So young Kevin learns his lesson. He shouldn't wish for something like that. He doesn't really know what it means. The family is reunited and everyone lives happily ever after. Until the next year, when exactly the same thing happens again. That's Home Alone (laughs) 2. Have you ever wanted something or asked for something, yet not truly understood what it is you wanted or were asking for? Like, you look back on it now and think either, gee, I'm glad that didn't happen, that would have been bad for me. Or, if you're less lucky... I wish that that hadn't happened. I wish I hadn't wished for that. It's common for us as children to want things we shouldn't or can't have, like too much McDonald's or ice cream, or to stay up all night, or a new bike for our birthday. But adults can ask for the wrong thing and regret it later as well. About 11 years ago, I was a groomsman at my best friend's wedding. The wedding was in the afternoon, so me, the groom, the best man and the other groomsmen all spent the whole day together up until then, and that included going to Subway for lunch. Now, I was the smart one. I just got a light six-inch chicken sub. All the others went for a whole foot long loaded with topping and they tucked in with gusto. So, a couple of hours later... We are at the church, everyone's nervous, the time's getting near, and my best friend turns to me with this awful look on his face and says, I can feel that pizza sub rolling around in my stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thankfully no one threw up or anything, we got through the wedding fine, but again, someone asked for something, not knowing or realising that it might end up coming back to bite them later. And what we see in James and John's request in today's Bible passage is sort of the ultimate example of that. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, what do they actually mean by that? You can probably come to a pretty good guess even without much context. James and John know that Jesus is the Messiah, the King who will be glorified. And when his time comes, they want to be in the most prominent places beside him. In ancient times, when a king ruled over a country, those at his right and left, seated beside him, were those he had appointed to the highest positions of authority in the land. They ruled over it, basically, and answered only to the king. That's the kind of position James and John were asking for. Not asking much, are they? But of course, Jesus answers them immediately with the words, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. 
What James and John think they're asking for is they expect Jesus to be like an earthly king who rules over a land and appoints people to delegate his authority to. And they want a part in that glory and that authority. But that wasn't what Jesus came for, was it? What was the moment of Jesus' most profound glory? When Jesus was crowned king, what was he crowned with? Who was on his left and right when that happened? He was on the cross and either side of him were condemned criminals who died with him. So James and John really didn't know what they were asking, did they? This little tale here is one which Jesus most violently flips on its head what the disciples thought they knew about his mission and what the world at large, and even we here and now, tend to define as leadership, authority and power. And it's also the first place where Jesus outright tells his disciples the meaning behind his coming death. He's told them a few times by now he's going to suffer, die and rise again. But for the first time here, he starts to give an explanation as to why. The Son of Man, he says, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's an odd word, ransom. It's not one we use all that often day to day. Even in Christian speaking, we might often talk about Jesus paying our debt or being sacrificed or some other way to describe him dying for our sins. But the idea of him ransoming us specifically, paying a price to set us free, it's not something we so often think of it as. And yet, this is what Jesus, in his very own words, says he is doing. So we're going to explore that a bit today. Firstly, by looking at our need for a ransom. Secondly, paying the ransom. And thirdly, living in freedom. We'll start with our need for a ransom and I suppose firstly we've got to establish what us being ransomed looks like anyway. I don't know about you but when I, when I hear about someone being ransomed I think of situations like kidnapping where the kidnapper is demanding some huge amount of money before he will set his prisoner free. And that's sort of similar to the word ransom as stated here, it sort of comes from that but In that time and place, ransoming did have a particular meaning. So this was a society in which slavery was normal, it was an institution, and in particular there was this idea of debt slavery, where people who owed just a hopeless amount of money, they would offer themselves as slaves until the debt was paid in full, which often they owed so much that it just never was, and it was something they couldn't pay in their lifetime. So they would just live and die a slave unless someone ransomed them, bought their freedom. 
and the ransomer would have to pay the full price, everything the slave owed to the master, and only then could the slave walk free. And the Son of Man came, Jesus says, to pay the ransom for many. But who are the many? Why would they need ransoming? Who are they enslaved to? What do they owe? James and John certainly didn't think of themselves as slaves and neither do the other ten apostles or then get pretty antsy at James and John when they find out what they ask for and Jesus has to give them a talking to as well. But they've already recognised by this point that things are harder than they seem. If we look at the very start of that passage, in verse 32, as they're all travelling, we're told the disciples are astonished and those who followed are afraid. Why would that be? This is before Jesus starts talking about how he's going to die, so it's not about that. What happened directly before this, if you read through Mark chapter 10, is Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. A young man who comes to Jesus asking, how do you inherit eternal life? But he then goes away sad when Jesus tells him to give away his possessions. And Jesus then says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Think about that in the context of ransoming. To the disciples and followers and everyone who may be listening, this rich young man is the one you'd least expect to need a ransom. He has everything. If he has a debt, he's wealthy enough to pay it off himself. He'd never fall into slavery, would he? But Jesus says he is. He's a slave to this world. And he doesn't have the wealth he really needs to freely enter the kingdom of God. No rich man has, Jesus says. And so the disciples then say, who then can be saved? If even the rich man can't, if he can't pay pay off his own debt, then what hope does anyone else have? What hope do you have? What do I have? Nobody is free. Nobody can save themselves. Nobody is worthy. And in our heart of hearts, we all know it. It's why this rich young man who seems to have everything still comes to Jesus. It's why James and John and the other disciples who are the closest to Jesus that can possibly be, they're still jostling for higher positions. We try to aim higher and further because we know that what we are at the moment just isn't enough. And in the end, no matter what we try, we always fail. We can't do it on our own. We need a ransom. We need someone to pay the price to free us. So that's our need for a ransom. Moving on to paying the ransom. 
So the 12 are still reeling from what Jesus said about the rich man when he takes them aside and tells them again that he will die. And again, it's not the first time he said this. It's the third time, actually. He said the same in Mark chapter 8 and again in chapter 9 and now we're at chapter 10. But this time, he is clearer and plainer than ever. And he goes into a great amount of detail. He says... The Son of Man will be delivered or betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later he will rise. Doesn't leave much room for misunderstanding, does it? Now, obviously, the disciples don't yet comprehend why this is happening, why it will happen, what its purpose or significance is. They still believe that somehow, at some point, Jesus will gain earthly glory, which is why James and John make the request they do. But Jesus then makes his correction. No, you have it all backwards. Leadership, power, that's about being a servant being a slave for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus is not paying this this ransom with money or material possessions as the disciples might have understood ransom the ransom is his very life This is the reason he will die. And not just die, but he will die a criminal's death, unheroic, undignified, condemned by Jewish law and carried out by unbelieving pagans. Possibly the worst end one could imagine for a potential king. But why would such a price even be necessary? Does it really have to be so sadistic and cruel? Jesus, it's not like Jesus is shying away from it. He describes it all in detail. It's not just a death, but the worst possible kind of one, and it's meant to be that way. Timothy Keller explains it like this. He says that real love is always sacrificial. If you love someone, you do things for them. You give them your time. You support them when needed, always at your own expense. You could be doing something else, but you're choosing them instead. And the more lowly that person is, the more broken they are, the more they need love, the bigger the sacrifice it is. I have loved ones who are very happy and content with life. Praise God for that. But I also know people with physical and mental illnesses, who are unable to work, who've gone through some really horrible, unspeakably bad things in their past, who are constantly lonely and need someone to talk to. Who do you think it takes more effort to love? Think about people you know. What do you think? And if you don't love someone who really needs it, If you just walk away and move on with your life, who bears the cost? They do. They stay lonely, unsupported, 
left to face things on their own. Love means paying a cost for someone so they themselves don't have to. It requires a sacrifice. The greater the need, the greater the cost. And so Jesus, in showing the ultimate love and meeting the ultimate need for many people, pays the ultimate sacrifice. Nothing is too much. He gives it all, his life, his worth, his dignity. He pays a king's ransom, literally, to attain freedom for his people. Which brings us to point three. We've heard that we need a ransom and that Jesus pays the ransom, so we are free. But what does it mean to live in freedom? What does it look like? Well, that brings us back around to James and John's request. Jesus tells them they don't know what they're asking, but he also goes on to answer with a question of his own, as Jesus does. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? James and John answer that they can, and Jesus actually affirms that. He says, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, It's obvious to us that James and John didn't die on the crosses next to Jesus. So what was the point of all that? Why does Jesus ask and talk about the cup and the baptism? The thing is, Jesus knows what is really on James and John's hearts. He knows they're asking for the wrong thing, but he also knows why they're asking. As we said before, at the end of the day, it's because... They know what they have already isn't good enough. They want to be sure they're part of this kingdom. They're afraid that if they don't seek the best seats in their house, they'll miss out entirely. And so Jesus directs their attention to what's really important, how they would really get in. Can you drink the cup I drink? Can you be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? At that moment, they were on their way to Jerusalem and once they were there, Jesus would pray in the garden, asking his father to take this cup away from him. Baptism, the submerging below water and rising again, that symbolises death and resurrection, the dying of the old and the rising of the new. Dying to sin and being born to life. Can James and John drink of the cup and share in Jesus' sufferings then? Can they die and be raised to new life? This is what Jesus asks them. And even in their ignorance, even not understanding the fullness of what he's saying, they answer, we can. And that is enough for Jesus. 
who tells them that they will. When Jesus pays the ransom for us and sets us free, this is how we live in freedom. Like James and John and the rest of the disciples, we find God's will hard to understand at times, don't we? It's easy, you know, to look back at scripture and judge harshly based on what we know. What we know. Oh, Jesus told this over and over. Why didn't they believe it? How could they be so stupid? But are we any better? As I was saying at the start, how many times do we still ask for things that are bad for us? Or how many times do we still do things that we know we shouldn't do? How many times do we fall back into the habit of justifying our sins or trying to make, trying to make ourselves good enough and earn our salvation? or making unloving judgments of other people. No, we aren't any less foolish than James and John. Living in freedom doesn't mean living a perfect life. It means being faithful. Hearing what Jesus is saying and answering yes. Imitating him by being willing to suffer like him serving others like he did, and laying down our lives knowing there's a resurrection to come. If this doesn't sound like freedom, then remember that Jesus was the only one who was ever truly free, the only one who ever needed no help at all, who was right with God and could enter the kingdom of heaven. Yet he chose to make himself a servant and pay the ransom for us, no matter how costly it was for him. That's how he used his freedoms. And he's the model for our free lives. It may be that you know you're loved and ransomed by the king, and that you use your freedom to follow him, in which case I hope this serves as an encouragement for you to continue to make that choice day by day, by his grace. It may be that you don't yet understand or think you believe in what Jesus has done. That doesn't make his love for you any less. When he paid that ransom, it was for you. It was so you could walk free. So he's calling you out of your struggle to find meaning in your life on your own into something better than that, that goes beyond yourself. He's waiting for you. Or you may be somewhere in between. Perhaps you know that Jesus died to save you, but you're still living as someone who's a slave to one thing or another, sin or your own efforts to be good enough. And if that's you... It's time to take hold of this freedom Jesus bought for you by his blood. Whomever and whatever you used to be means nothing now. You're a new creation. Drink from his cup. Be baptised in his death and resurrection. And take up your cross and follow him wherever he leads you.
Amen.